1: All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Inside sports on 630, Chad. Dallas out to a quick 2-0 lead on the Minnesota Wild. Nine minutes left in the first period. Patrick Sharp has both goals for the Stars. They're already up 2-0 in the series. Heading to the third period in Philadelphia, the Capitals a 2-1 edge over Philadelphia. They're up 2-0 in that series. The Kings and the Sharks will face off in San Jose at 8.30. The Sharks lead the series 2-zip. Early in the fourth quarter in Toronto, Game 2 of the series between the Raptors and the Pacers. The Raps are up 76-66. Indiana leads the series 1-0. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks so, they thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's 7.07 this afternoon. Patriots Day in Boston. Boston Marathon Day as well. The Toronto Blue Jays get a split of their four-game set with the Red Sox. A 4-3 victory for the Jays. j Jay Happ, four hits and seven-plus innings of work. The Blue Jays scored four times in the eighth inning. Drew Storen gave up two runs in the bottom of the ninth, but still gets credit for the save. Oh, another basketball note. Golden State Warriors, home to the uh, Houston Rockets tonight. Already up 1-0 in the series, and uh, Steph Curry questionable for that game. With an ankle issue. Uh, they were 73 and 9. Kellen Kennedy on the other side of the window tonight. How's it going, Kellen? Hey, pretty good. How about yourself? As you know, they were 73 and 9 mm-hmm. in the regular season. They yeah. played three games without Steph Curry, went 2 and 1. So. Yeah, take that for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're in big trouble without Curry. I can tell you the truth. I think they'll take it. It'll take an adjustment period, but I think they're
2: they're as good as everybody thinks they are, and probably better.
1: Should be able to beat Houston without oh, absolutely. them. Absolutely. Uh, just some other notes here to tell you about the uh, Bentley Generals. Congratulations! Won the Allen Cup. In Steinbach on Saturday, 4-3 in overtime over the Southeast Prairie Thunder. Carter Rigby got the game-winning goal. We will talk a little bit more about that tournament and get some further details on that uh, roster eligibility issue that caused a delay in the quarterfinals on Thursday, and one of the games had to be played at 10.30 at night. FC Edmonton in Tampa Bay on the weekend, lost 1-0 early on for FC Edmonton. Just one point, a draw and two losses. They will host the Ottawa Fury. At Clark's Sunday at 2 p.m. How about this? In the first round of the AHL playoffs, the Bakersfield Condors didn't make up uh, make it. The coaching matchup will be Derek Laxtall against Dallas Akins, former Edmonton Oil Kings coach, now with the Texas Stars former Edmonton Oilers coach Dallas Aikens down with the San Diego Gulls. They will play each other in uh, the best of five. So there you go. I think we're going to have Derek Laxdahl on the show later on this week. That should be fun. All right, 780-496-0063. You can also text us to uh, 630-630. Thanks for tuning in tonight. As we uh, keep an eye on the playoffs, we were uh, we were talking about, uh, Brendan and I were talking about the Oilers' inability to uh, draft and developed depth scoring. I was using Craig Smith and Riley Smith as the jumping off point for that. Again, the last Oiler who the Oilers drafted not in the first round to have a 20-goal season was Sean Horkoff, who had 21 goals in just 53 games in 07-08. Um, the last Oiler overall... Who was not a first round pick to have a 21 goal season was Dustin Penner, who had 21 in 62 games in 10 11. He had 32 goals in 09 10. So I didn't count him because the Oilers weren't the ones that brought him into the NHL, though that was a guy who wasn't a first round draft pick who had pretty good seasons for the Oilers. So yet another thing to keep in mind as we move forward with this team. And I wonder how, you know, I wonder what Peter Shirelli is sitting there thinking about how he sees these lines being put together and how Todd McClellan sees these lines being put together and there's no doubt as Washington scores minute 58 into the third period to go up 3-1 um, I wonder how they see these lines being put together and we I mean I'm convinced they're going to part with a six million dollar player and I am just wondering, who is it going to be? I think it's going to be Jordan Everly. And what is that I know if you trade Jordan Everly, you take a guy with 30 goal potential out of the roster. But do you bring in a player who can consistently contribute to the game on a night after night basis? Doesn't make some of the mistakes we saw Everly made and who's maybe a little better at puck pursuit, a little better at forechecking? Maybe you don't get as many goals for, but maybe he helps shave off some goals against because of his all-around ability. Whoever this fictional winger that comes in, well, not fictional, it'll be a real winger, but again, a Riley Smith type or a Cam Atkinson type, not that the Oilers are going to get specifically those players, but somebody who maybe can't get you 30, might get you 22, 23, but who just all-around is going to help you out. That's what I look forward to this summer. The draft lottery will be on April 30th. The Oilers have a 13.5 uh, percent chance of getting the first overall pick. All right, well, 7:12. Quick timeout here. A little more playoff talk ahead. Some Eskimos talk too. This is Inside Sports on 6:30, Chad. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 6:30, Chad. Right, thanks for tuning in tonight 7:15. 15 reed wilkins with you three games tonight in the nhl playoffs tomorrow big one on the schedule in nashville the anaheim ducks trying to avoid going down three nothing to the nashville predators definitely a result I did not see coming as the Predators take the first two games of this series, three-two, and to break it down a little bit for us and tell us what might happen next, it is Brian Hayward, television color analyst for the Anaheim Ducks. Brian, you're on with Reed Wilkins. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for making time for us. I I I, I know you probably had a busy a uh, busy travel day, so we appreciate you you fitting us in. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm looking at this and I before the series and I thought. Well, Anaheim sure put it together after a slow start. They can win all types of games. Uh, you know, Nashville's a good team, but I wouldn't call them a great team, and uh, everything that I thought would happen pretty much has gone the opposite way, Brian. I don't know if you're in the same boat or not.
0: Well, I, I, I didn't think it was going to be um, an, an easy series for Anaheim, but I, I did expect that the Ducks, uh, you know, really had a good chance of prevailing here, and I, think, I don't think this is over yet. Um, one thing about the Ducks, this season is that they've they've dealt with a lot of adversity they had the terrible start and they've had some pretty significant injuries but they've they've managed to find ways but now they've, they've got a big challenge ahead of them but i i can tell you this much in traveling with the team from anaheim to nashville today i don't think anyone feels like it wasn't a subdued mood at all on the team charter. I mean, I, I think they're coming here expecting to win at, at least one, and and hopefully
1: two. Uh, did you get the sense at all? And, and I, I'm not suggesting John Gibson played played poorly or anything like that, but just the fact that um, you know he, he was the losing goaltender. Did you get the sense that there might be a goaltending change, or is that TBA?
0: Um, very well, could be. <clears throat> Has not been announced yet. Um I, I would almost expect that there will be based on the way, you know, things went during the regular season where um, you know, it, it was rare after a goaltender lost that he would get a, a second start. And, you know, Boudreaux kinda said going into the playoffs that he was fully expecting that he would be using both goaltenders. So I, I would be surprised if it wasn't Frederick Anderson and Jetsu.
1: Okay, so that's a that's another thing to watch for. I mean, let's Brian. You referenced it earlier, but what a a season for the Anaheim Ducks! I mean, they were shut out whatever it was four times in their first eleven games. Uh, Quite frankly, I think they were behind the Oilers for about the first third, almost the first half of the season, and then now there's a huge separation before these teams. Have Have you seen a season like this for a team either as a, a, a player or a broadcaster before?
0: No, it was a it was a very difficult, you know, first half of the season, and, and it was actually they were shut out five times in their first eight games, which was unbelievable with you know, some of the people that they have in that locker room. Um, but they, you know, they kind of got it going. There, there, there was a lot of turnover with the Ducks you know, during the off season. They let Kyle Palmieri go, and they let Matt boleski go, and they they tried to get faster, and they brought in players like. You know Carl Haglin and it and Yuri Sakotch, who they would picked up at the deadline, was was to be given a more prominent role, and it just didn't work. I mean the the Ducks, whose you know nucleus up front is you know Kessler and Perry and Getzloff, uh, I think they they got away from their team identity at, at the beginning of the year, and then they had to scramble and make changes and kind of get back to their team identity. So they brought in players like you know, Ryan Garbett and and David Perron was a great add for them. And so they, they kind of changed back to the way they have been for quite some time now, and they, and they started to play at that point.
1: Uh, so those additions helped. Was there an existing duck that maybe helped uh, pull things together or a guy who'd been on the past seasons that was a calming influence or maybe got his game fired up a bit?
0: Well, Getzloff is, is the leader of the team, and quite often they go as Getzloff goes. Although, mm-hmm. I, I will say, I think Ryan Getzloff's been very good in this series against Nashville. He, he hasn't got a, a ton of production, but I think overall, his overall play has been very good. Um, in the month of February, he was the best player in the, in the league. You know, he was named player of the month for the month of February, and, and, and he was the dominating game. So, you know, when Getzloff goes, this, this team is a, an awfully, awfully good team. They, they've got some really nice complementary parts, but, but he's the key and always has been. And uh, you know, I, I would expect, you know, looking forward to tomorrow night's game, that Ryan Getzloff will be you know, the best player on, on the Anaheim roster for sure.
1: Brian Hayward joining us on Inside Sports, analyst for the Anaheim Ducks, who face Nashville tomorrow night with the Predators leading the series uh, two games to nothing, 7-21 Inside Sports on 6:30. Chad Washington still up 3-1 on Philadelphia, 13 and a half minutes left in the third period there as the Caps try to go up three games to nothing. I, I, I got to uh, ask you here, to, just to just get off the playoff series topic a little bit, uh, Brian, I, I got to ask you about Patrick Maroon, who came to the Oilers and has become an extremely popular player. He wound up with more points as an Oiler than he did at a, as a Duck this year, despite the wide discrepancy in games played. Uh, I mean, just tell me a little bit about Maroon at his peak, and uh, I guess the follow-up to that is why you, the, the Ducks, in your mind, were willing to part with him.
0: Well, I, I think Pat is, first of all, he's an incredibly well-liked guy, at teammates level, and, you know, he fights. And he goes into the dirty areas, and, and, and I know that that's something that the Oilers were looking for to, to add that kind of element to their roster. Um, Pat got off to a real slow start with Anaheim. I, I don't think he was in terrific shape when he reported to training camp. Um, and he wasn't the only one, by the way. I, I think Anaheim had, had you know, this, this was a team in Anaheim that had lost three consecutive Game 7s at home. And I, I think all of the players not all of them, but a lot of them took the approach that, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens in the regular season. We're good enough that we're going to be a playoff team, and it really just matters what we do in the postseason. And it showed that they weren't ready to start the year. And, you know, General Manager Bob Murray has said this many times, and this is the way he feels about this season. And, You know, Pat was just a a guy that, for whatever reason, I I think had kind of lost sight of what what he had worked so hard to get. You know, to to get to the front of the net, to to be a physical presence every game. And I'm sure the trade for Pat was a big wake up call for him, because, like I said, a a well liked player, and when he's playing at the top of his game, I think he's a valuable commodity. We've had similar type players to Patrick Maroon. Playing well was similar, you know, similar frame and, and soft hands around the front of the net. But Pat brings a little bit more because he fights and, and he's grittier. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm real happy that things are working out for him. And what a what an incentive, what a carrot for him to be able to play with Connor McDavid, have some success. And, and I've already heard, you know, Todd McClellan dangle that carrot that if he does some of the things that we want him to do that he'll start the season playing with david well i can guarantee you what he wants him to do is to improve his condition and if he does that you know he can make himself a lot of money by playing with a guy like that for
1: sure yeah no kidding he did a good job brian one more and i'd be remiss uh, if i didn't go down memory lane with you for one question we did close down rexall place here almost uh two weeks ago that led to a lot of memories uh, especially of the Oilers heyday you know I double checked your stats here I had forgotten you played this many games in an era where goalies often didn't play this much you played 61 games for the 84-85 Winnipeg Jets you went 33-17-7 so you had a great record and you played on maybe one of the best teams of the 1980s that no one talks about because the Jets had 96 points. Actually, were better than Calgary that year, but of course ran into the Oilers uh, in the second round of the playoffs. Those Jets teams had some pretty good clubs uh, around that time, but uh, you were just stuck in the wrong division, I think.
0: Yeah, we we had uh, it was a kind of interesting dynamic back then. We could not beat Edmonton; they swept us every year. We didn't win a playoff game against them. And and yet Calgary had some success against the Oilers, and we had all of our success against Calgary. And we would we would own them during the regular season. So it it was it was funny between those all three of those teams were good teams, with Edmonton being a step above, of course. Um, but I'm I, I share no fond memories of Wrexham I'll be honest <laughs> with you; they could burn that place to the ground, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I uh I just all I remember is the red light going on all the time. So. Uh, you know, I, I know in Edmonton, I'm excited to see the new building and uh, and, and what that brings to the city. And I, I know everyone around the league is pretty darn excited to see the new building, too.
1: Brian, thanks for making time for us. I think you're in for some good games here still between the Ducks and the Predators. Have fun tomorrow night, man. Thanks so much.
0: All right. We'll do, Take care.
1: That is Brian Hayward checking in tonight. Yeah, former uh, Winnipeg Jet in the mid-'80s. Pretty good goaltender. Played on a very good uh, 88-89 Canadiens team as well. Still played 36 games, even though Patrick Waugh was the main guy that year. 7-26, another goal for the Capitals. They are up 4-1. Time winding down in Philadelphia. The Capitals on the verge of taking a 3-0 series lead. The Wild get on the board. Chris Porter scores. Dallas up 2-1 after 1. Kings and Sharks still to come up next on inside sports a story we've been following for a few days we will uh, shine a little more light on it try to get some answers from jamie salm senior chair of hockey alberta about what exactly happened with that big roster mess at the allen cup in manitoba
0: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630-10.
1: All right, thanks for tuning in tonight at 733. A little bit of nastiness here in the Washington-Philadelphia game, as to be expected. The Capitals up 4-1, 743 to go in the third period. Barring a miracle from the Flyers, it'll be a 3-0 series lead for the Caps. After 20, the Wild on home ice trailing Dallas 2-1. Kings and the Sharks still to come tonight. The Raptors now pulling away 96-81 lead over Indiana. Two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. Your scoreboard is courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310GLASS today. On Saturday's scoreboard, you would have seen this. Bentley 4 Southeast Prairie Thunder 3 in overtime in the Allen Cup final. Carter Rigby got the game winner for the Bentley Generals. Congratulations to them for winning it all. Glad to see an Alberta team from the Chinook League getting it done. Obviously, if you listened at all last week or read my blog online on Thursday, I was not happy with some of the other things that happened in the tournament, including a uh, roster issue with the uh, Ill Deshane team that led to uh, delays on Thursday and one game being played at 10.30 at night in the quarterfinal stage. So for some clarity on... uh, the rules concerning that and maybe where we go from here. I'm pleased to welcome Jamie Salm to the show. Jamie is the chair of senior hockey in Alberta. Jamie, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? Not so bad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to to talk to you. And uh, I I appreciate your time with this because I know it probably wasn't a pleasant situation uh, for those at the tournament to go through. Let's just start with with the facts here. Can, Can you... First of all, explain what the import rule is as it pertains to senior hockey.
2: Sure, um, so import rules have been in place in amateur hockey for quite some time, so what they're intended to do is provide some balance to the hockey system, just by limiting the number of outsiders that can be registered and that can play in a game. So the existing senior rule classifies a player that either played in another province or country as an import. And with that rule, it says that um, it only allows teams to have a maximum of six registered to their team and also, you know, to only dress a maximum of six in a game. So, um, you know, basically the import rule is just to keep uh, a team from loading up on players from all over the place and potentially, you know, stacking or strengthening the team up. So I guess in a nutshell, that's why we have it.
1: So when you said in another province or country that's their that's their previous amateur team, regardless of how many years ago it was. Yeah, it's, okay.
2: so, the team that was registered last season, yeah,
1: okay so the the team in question on Thursday was Ilda Shane, and and they've been a pretty good team in senior hockey for for quite a while. I mean, I can remember them playing against Lloyd Minster ten, twelve years ago in in Saskatchewan Manitoba playdowns when I was working in Lloyd how how exactly did Ildeshane violate this rule?
2: Okay well, you know simply put, they violated it by dressing seven import players in in a couple of the games. so um, we don't really know why, but you know ultimately they did have access to more than six imports on their roster. that includes their affiliate imports. Um, why they chose to, to go over the six, we're still not sure. Uh, most likely an oversight, but um, you know that's that's how it happened.
1: Okay, so just to just to clarify, you can you can have more than six on your total roster, but you can't dress more than six in a game.
2: Right, because you have uh, you have your main roster, and then you have the potential of your you know team to team affiliate roster, right, or your specially affiliated players. So. Um, those those of imports aren't really are um, aren't uh, what do you want to call it added into the six that right if you so, just had a regular roster you'd only have six allowed okay you can have another six potentially with your affiliate roster
1: no were these the old the shane players were these the guys from Kenora that lost their team or is that not relevant
2: Um. <laughs> uh, there were a number of Kenora players that lost, that were on a, their team last year, and, of course, they didn't form this year.
1: Yeah, okay, I gotcha. Um, I, I guess my, my question, Jamie, is is this all kind of hit the fan, for lack of a better expression, on, it seemed to me, Thursday afternoon, shortly before everybody was ready for teams to play hockey. Why wasn't this violation that they'd use seven guys pointed out earlier in the tournament and, and couldn't have just been dealt with before or after one of the earlier games?
2: Right. Good question. So, if, you know, anybody who has knowledge in the Allen cup knows there's a, uh, a pre-tournament meeting that takes place where all the the branch reps and team officials gather in a room and go over the rules and, you know, kind of review rosters and et cetera. So, um, At that time, I guess all we can really say is uh, it was missed there. Um, And it was caught on that questionable date on Thursday. Um, Basically, somebody, it wasn't another team, but it was caught internally where uh, we just realized that there were players that, you know, were identified as being uh, outside of the the jurisdiction, you know, last season, being the, some of the Kenora players, the name stood out and raised a bit of a red flag there. So uh, that's what basically halted everything.
1: Okay, um, so I mean, I mean, I know there was so, some sort of a meeting. I mentioned the game being delayed, and I want to ask you about that later on. So Ilda who who was one and one in the round robin, wind up forfeiting. So they were they were zero and two besides forfeiting those games what other options if any it could have possibly been considered here
2: um well you know for like the hockey canada rule states any time a team plays in ineligible players so that seventh import would have been an ineligible player um there's consequences that go with that and that's taking the win away from the team um There were some other harsher options i suppose could have been invoked and that could have been to remove them from the tournament entirely but um you know that's that's fairly harsh and uh it didn't end up going that way
1: okay uh jamie salm joining us tonight he's the uh, chair of senior hockey for hockey alberta we'll talk we're talking about the uh roster issue with the old Shane that threw a pretty big wrench in the Allen cup tournament last week. So I, I got to ask you this, Jamie, as, as we move along here, are there checks and balances in place? So something like this doesn't happen again, because I'm assuming you and everybody else associated with senior hockey doesn't want this kind of attention on the tournament in the future. Uh, if it can be avoided.
2: No, yeah, it was something else. That's for sure. Um, yeah, so basically what occurred in Steinbach was simply a case of one team violating a rule. Um, like things like this do happen all the time in sports. But the most important thing is that you have a process in place to deal with it. So because this did happen, you know, I think the eligibility of the players are definitely going to be a more important part of the pre-tournament meeting moving forward. So. Um, you know, basically if you, we happen to see a roster in that meeting that doesn't have any imports listed on it, that'll be an immediate red flag just to double check, you know, with that branch. Say, hey, is, you know, we see no imports here. Is, is that, uh, was that a mistake? Do you really have none? You know. So Something along that line, but yeah, definitely more emphasis put on checking that in the future.
1: Okay, well, I I, I hope so, and I, I hope Hockey Canada shows some some leadership in that regard too. Jamie, I guess more of a comment than a question, but I'll throw it out there. If you have something to say, about it, you can, it just seems to me, and and throughout this past season, you know, I talked to guys uh, from Stony Plain and and Bentley specifically. And I know the Fort Sask and Innisfail are in the league, um, and it was great that Ryan Smith played for Stony Plain. That shone some extra light on this level of hockey. It just seems to me that Alberta is doing a better job at at senior hockey than, than maybe other jurisdictions. There's a little more passion here. There's a little more commitment to the rules and some of the, I guess, bookkeeping, and the, you know, the, the <laughs> carding that all goes along with it. I mean, is that, am I, am I being a homer there because I live in Alberta or is that a, a fair comment?
2: Yeah, well, I live in Alberta too and uh, haven't had to experience any uh, of the other branches, um, you know, in the country. So, but, you know, for all the provinces do have, the same rules and when registering their teams and they follow in accordance with hockey canada regs of course um the situation like this has probably more to do with how familiar the team is with those rules or the branch so you know at any given time you change staff um new people come into play you know things like that where they're just maybe not as familiar as some branches are with those rules so um i would say yeah alberta is definitely doing a better job Uh, and that's not to throw the other branches under the bus or anything but uh, from what i gather i've been involved with hockey alberta for a number of years and uh, it just seems that they really do strive to be able to thoroughly understand the regs and follow the regs um, as they're written so
1: all right well that that's good to hear and I guess my, my, my last question is, I'm laughing on, on the day I was like just <laughs> furious about it. Could could something have possibly been done on Thursday so you didn't have to play a game at 10.30 at night? Because unfortunately, Jamie, a, a lot. Of, that's what a lot of people are going to remember from this tournament. That's the the, the, the the fun fact that isn't so fun, I guess.
2: Right. So you have to understand from being there and looking at the uh, host organizers' faces when all this is going down, it's like you can see the anguish and the, and the sadness that's going on inside their minds, right, because they're, this is their tournament and it's being altered like this, you know, at the last minute. But really, uh, in a situation like this, you know, what were the options? Um, you So this the game was delayed. Uh, it was about 5.30 or so roughly when, you know, decisions came back. So the game was already an hour and a half behind schedule. Uh, we realized that Ilda Shane was bumped down in the standings, uh, which basically changed the whole schedule of teams who would be playing. So is it, a, is it fair to, to get them in at the last minute, unprepared, you know, unwarm and, and play a game? No, that's not fair. So um, at the same time, we thought about there was another ice surface there. Uh, could we have two games kind of going on at once? Uh, well, that, that was an option, but the other rink uh, in the facility was more of a practice rink. It wasn't necessarily set up, you know, for safety factors to play a game, so that was out. Um, the other option was to play it the next day or you run into the problem, well, two teams, or a team's going to be playing twice in one day, which is an unfair advantage as well, so. Um, Though it was a real tough decision, uh, you know, it ended up working out um, in the long run, you know, with Hilda and the the Thunder playing off at the late game. Um, The the stands were, you know, I would say 90% full, which was good. Um, So, though unfavorable at the time, I think it did work out in the long run.
1: Okay. Well, I, I, Jamie, I, I appreciate that you're able to come on and, and clarify um, a lot of this for me. I, as you know, I was I was very interested in the story, and I was very interested in the tournament, even without this happening. So, you, you know, I, I do appreciate that uh, that you're, you're sharing some firsthand uh, account of what went on, a little bit of clarity on uh, on on the rule as well. Thanks a lot yeah. for doing this. I, I hope when we talk again, it's uh, it's about something a little more positive and a little more cut and dried. Yeah, me too. All right, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Reed. That is Jamie Salm checking in tonight. He is the chair of senior hockey for Hockey Alberta. And he was uh, one of the guys embroiled in this last week on Thursday. And as you heard him describing, in in some ways, especially with rescheduling the game, a bit of a no win situation, Kellen. I mean, do you have a team like you said, do you have a team play at ten thirty at night or yeah. do you bump it to the next day? and have them play two in the same day, maybe at one and nine or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, or do you even have a team go, like you said, they were looking at the practice rake next door, but... Two pot- games at once. You know, two games at once, but potentially have one team lose a player due to substandard equipment in the corner or something, right? And so. you had fans who bought tournament packages who expect to see every Indeed. game in the yeah. tournament if, if they want to go. So uh, it's, it's, just, it's too bad it happened, and, and again, I think... I mean, I, 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 he mentioned there's that pre-tournament meeting. I, I ultimately think Hockey Canada has to take the responsibility and approve every ro- There's time to do it. It's not like teams are qualifying the day before the tournament starts. Yep. And then you got to make sure each roster is valid going into each game. So a bit of a crazy story. Turned out to be a positive story for the Bentley Generals. They won the tournament in overtime. It is 7.48. I'm looking at some very sad faces on the Philadelphia Flyers bench. I'll tell you why when we get back. Hi, this is Ryan Eason hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630
2: Chad. As Ovetskin wakes his way down the slot, kicks it back to Carlson, a 4-on-3, as Carlson scores!
0: center point
1: shot for number 74 burying it against mason three power play goals on the night it's four one washington john carlson with his third goal in three games in the series and the
0: fans heading to the exits a chance to go up three nothing stands just minutes
1: away and it is now done six one six one the capitals ring up the philadelphia flyers to lead the series three nothing how about this the capitals going five for nine on the power play five for nine with the man advantage it started great for philly first minute of the game raffle scored yeah not so good after that for the flyers some uh, nastiness in uh, this one. I'm just watching uh, Belmare hit Orloff from behind here on a replay. Orpic left the game earlier on a, I would say, a mostly clean hit by Ryan White. Maybe a little late, but it wasn't a headshot or anything it like that. It was clean. It was clean. So uh, Philly's in trouble. Now, if the shoe was on the other foot and had, and had Boston snuck in, I know it was pretty uphill for Boston. Would Boston have this much trouble with Washington or do you I think th- it'll be a better series? Uh, I think Washington's very good. Yeah, I picked Washington to win the Stanley Cup before the season and I'm, I'm sticking with them in the playoffs. Alright. Um. I mean, Boston I mean, Boston finished behind Philly, so how, how, I mean teams are made up well, are they made up that differently? I don't know. But uh, I mean, Washington's got them now. Yeah. By, by the way, uh, Minnesota's tied it up here. Ooh, Minnesota has tied it up uh, about six minutes into the uh, second period against Dallas. It is now 2 2. Eric Halla gets the goal. Started quickly in this one for Dallas. Sharp scored at 26 seconds and he scored at 4 10. Porter and Halla have come back to get the goals. Uh, Devin Dubnik, not polled after uh, allowing those two goals early. He has faced only six shots. Two of them went in. The shots are 15 6 for Minnesota. So clearly they uh, woke up after a slow start. So Minnesota trying to stay afloat in that series. Uh, frustrated fan says uh, I was hoping you would ask the Hockey Alberta guy what happened with Bentley losing two points this regular season for an ineligible player. Uh, I believe they actually lost four points for an ineligible player. Um, yeah, they used an eligible player. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, frustrated fan. It's, you're right. Bentley, here's my point. By the time you reach the roster deadline in January and then actually go to the Allen Cup, things should be straightened out and Hockey Canada should be involved, right? Um, Bentley lost point. I mean, look, I, I don't put the Chinook League regular season on the same level as the Allen Cup. I don't. And sometimes you're adding guys, you know, you're subtracting guys in season. You're not sure how your team is looking. I'm a little more forgiving with those types of errors. And look at most senior men's or even junior A leagues throughout the year across the country. A lot of teams have to forfeit because something goes wrong. But by the time you are in the Allen Cup, you should know it, your provincial association should know it, and Hockey Canada should know it. So... Frustrated fan texts in and says it happens more often than you think, Reed, Well, no, it doesn't. I know it happens a lot. I covered Junior A. I covered Junior B. I covered Senior. I, I know stuff goes wrong. It should not go wrong in the National Championship Tournament because there should be enough people overlooking it that it's it's preventable and you, it, it doesn't get exposed right before a quarterfinal game. That's, that's my point. I know it happened to Bentley this year. I know it's happened to other alberta teams and i know it's happened in other levels of hockey frustrated fan but i'm frustrated it happened at the allen cup and halfway through the tournament halfway through the tournament first game maybe would have been a different story you can text 630 630 780-496-0063 is our phone number great year for the uh, nate hockey team well i guess pretty great they didn't lose Mike Gabinette coached that team, but now he is moving on. You will find out where when we get back. Also, Jerry Matajang will check in from Florida as the Eskimos are trying to find some new players. How is that going? How is the new coaching staff fitting together? All those questions answered in the final hour of Inside Sports right here on 630 Chat.